That is a football coach voice. If you've never heard it, right? Yes, okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Good to be back with you. Uh, a lot of miles have passed since last time I was here. Last time I was here, you gave me a topic to talk about my journey, uh, where I've been, what I've done. Is this on? We're turning it off. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. And that was kind of fun. I kind of enjoyed reminiscing. I have a long journey, you know. Uh, you know, I was a philosophy major in college. I didn't major in history because I still say of all the things I've lost, I miss my memory the most. Uh, but I do remember being here with you and talking about my journey. Thank you. And uh, I really wasn't sure what I was going to talk about this morning. Uh, I had three ideas in mind. One uh, would have been a, a Lenten lesson. Some of you observed the, the days of Lent leading up to um, Good Friday. Um, and if you want a good study on that, uh, just compare the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, eight Beatitudes, with the eight episodes leading up to his, his crucifixion in uh, Mark uh, 14 to 16, and see how Jesus, in the most stressful life anybody's ever lived, perfectly lived out the eight Beatitudes that he taught at the beginning of his ministry. So there's a little devotional thing you can do. I'm also going to talk to you about what's going on in Thailand, because I've become very, very involved in a ministry. You're going to, uh, uh, in, in 2019, Christianity Today came out with a big article about this amazing movement that's happening in central Thailand, a Buddhist country that has resisted the gospel for a couple hundred years. And now it's, the gospel is just flourishing in the middle part of the country uh, under the ministry of my cousin, whom I did not know growing up because he grew up there in Thailand. Uh, and I'm privileged to go, this will be my, in Mark 7, will be going for my third time of uh, three weeks of teaching to the pastors of this incredible group. So I don't speak Thai, but I really eat good Thai food, so I guess that qualifies me. But uh, So we're going to be talking this time, we've done Bible Alive with them, Old Testament, New Testament, finding your charisma, your spiritual gift, but most uh, this time we'll be doing, uh, uh, speaking out of the uh, last book I wrote, it's called The Lion, the Church, and the Warfare. And if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, you realize I plagiarized, but it's okay, he's dead. So, uh, but uh, it's on spiritual warfare, and that's what they want to hear. But that's not what I'm talking to you about today. What I want to talk to you about today is about your children and your grandchildren. And if you don't have children or grandchildren, please still stay tuned. But I'm going to give you a message that I, I gave, sort of, uh, a few weeks ago. Every year, you know, that uh, uh, now I guess it's called movement.org. It was originally uh, Concerts of Prayer in New York, and then the Leadership Center, and it's moved around with different names. But I got to speak to the pastors, but they... Uh, I only had really, uh, I spoke in, uh, for a little while in the morning at the breakfast, just an interview, but uh, the session that I was to lead, well, it's a breakout session, and they, the people, the conference changed the room, they put it in a small chapel nobody could find, so out of the, what, two or three hundred people there, I think I spoke to about 20 or 30, but this is really, really heavy on my heart, uh, because I see what's going on in our nation, and in the world, and that's what I want to talk to you about, uh, the importance of Christ-centered college education today. And specifically, the name of my talk is Render Unto Caesar? Question mark? Okay, so I'll explain that in a moment. But uh, it's no doubt, it's no question that all of us are very aware that there's a terrible erosion of Christian faith in, in our country, and especially among the young people. Maybe the most haunting verse in the Bible is Luke 18, verse 8. J 
Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Was Jesus wondering, will there be anybody here who's still following him when he comes back? Well, I think that was a little bit rhetorical because uh, just before that, he talked about the elect that will still be on the earth. So, uh, But it seems that he did anticipate a great decline of faith coming toward the end times. And that's supported by what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, where he said, the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy or the falling away from the faith comes first. So it's not a surprise to any of us uh, that this is happening in our country and in our generation. Maybe you've read articles like that in the uh, Pew Research uh, Center uh, publication came out a few years ago. It says, in, US, in the U.S., decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace and updated, uh, an update on America's changing landscape, religious landscape. And then here's a quote from the Pew Research. The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 19, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion, down 12 percentage points over the past decade. Meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share uh, their share of the population, consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or what's now called nuns, or, or not Roman Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns, nothing in particular, now stands at 26% up 17% in 2000, from 2009. That's basically in one decade, 27 million Americans changed their identity from being Christian to being atheist, agnostic, or none. So taking this information into generational differences, and please, this is a wake-up call, all right? Because most of us are asleep. I read in, in Mark 13, Jesus kept saying, be alert, be alert to what's going on. And so I want to talk about this from a generational point of view. So I'd like, you're, you're aware, I hope, that the current generation name is Generation Z. And um, an article written by a guy named Daniel Cox talks about how the evidence of this decline in, in, in religious faith and Christian faith uh, is going on today. But before reading his comment, uh, just in case you're not up on your generationology, uh, I just invented that word, by the way, so uh, let me remind you, according to Pew, the silent generation, there are some of you who are here, born between 1928 and 1945. Today, they are ages 79 to 95. Boomers, I'm one of them by just a few days, though, uh, were born from 1946 to 64. Today, they are 59 to 78 years old. Gen X, or the Busters, were born from 65 to 80. Today, they are 43 to 58. The Millennials, the famous Millennials, were born from 1981 to 96. Today, they are 27 to 42 years old. But then Gen Z were born from 1997 to 2012. Today they are ages 13 to 26. And that's the one we really want to focus on. Some of you have children in that age, some of you have grandchildren in that age. The next generation up, by the way, will be, call they're calling Generation Alpha. So I got to say Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. I guess we got to go through the whole Greek alphabet again uh, until the Lord comes. But they were born after 2012. So here's what that article says. In terms of identity, Generation Z, the is the least religious generation yet. More than one-third, 
of Generation Z are religiously unaffiliated. It means every one of every three young people that you see under the age of 26 is, says they're religiously unaffiliated in this country. Uh, a larger, a significantly larger proportion than among the millennials, which is 29%, and Generation X, 25%. Fewer than one in five, only 18% of baby boomers and only 9% of the silent generation are religiously unaffiliated. You can see what's happening. In other words, the percentage of traditional college-age young people who are religiously unaffiliated is more than double that of their grandparents. If that's, and it's not only a lack of religious affiliation that distinguishes Generation Z, they're also far more likely to say, I'm agnostic or I'm an atheist. Agnostics, by the way, there are three kinds. There are uh, dogmatic uh, agnostics who say, I don't know, you don't know, nobody can know. How do they know? Anyhow, uh, and, and but there are also, um, uh, let's say, uh, disenchanted agnostics or disin uh, disinterested agnostics. I don't know and I don't care. Ah, yeah, just wait a few years when you're in the hospital bed or your mother's dying or somebody, you're going to care. But then there are those who are who are seeking, they're dissatisfied. They 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 are sincere in wanting to know. But I don't know how you can't stay in that position very long. I mean, if you're an agnostic, it means some, maybe you believe, maybe you don't. So do you go to church every other week or you know tithe five percent or what? You know, that's just not not an honest long-term position to be in. But why is this erosion of faith happening? There are many factors, undoubtedly. But higher education plays a huge role which takes us to the thematic statement of my talk, uh, and it's from Vadi Bosham, uh, and it's on the top of our little paper here. Vadi Bosham said, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. You get it? But that's what's going on. So right now, you need to make a choice. You can continue to hear me, hear me out, or think David is over-dramatizing the situation. You may say, oh, I went to college only about 25 years ago and it wasn't so bad. Hmm. That's dangerous thinking. Or you can say, I know more recent college graduates and, and I know some who are still walking with God. Well, that's wonderful, we hope they will, but they're in a small minority. Secular higher education is changing as rapidly as technology, morality, and international trade. Remember the ad, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. How many can remember that? <laughs> Some of you aren't very honest. You remember, <laughs> that was a big time ad back that GM was uh, putting forth to try to revive an automobile dinosaur, which finally died in 2004. Well, this is not your, 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 your father's or grandfather's university or college. The current change of cultural, of secular education outpaces, outpaces society's cultural uh, movement by far. You may have liked Oldmobiles or a dozen other American brands, but they're gone forever. And so is 20th century higher education gone forever. What is happening just in these decades under our nose is just awful. A while ago, I heard a prominent uh, psychology professor from UCLA say that while 18 months to three years are the most formative of a child's personality, 
the years 18 to 22, the years 18 to 22 are the most formative for our values and character. Values and character. Gentlemen, that means that in most cases, you will not likely be the primary voices in the spiritual or moral education during the most, pro most formative years of your children and your grandchildren. So who will be? That's a haunting question. Who will have the primary voice in the lives of our children and grandchildren in terms of their values and their character in those critical years? That's why, as you know, I'm, I've come back to Pillar College. I'm president. I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, but we've created what we're calling Foundation First. When I was uh, president at the Reformed Episcopal Seminary in Philadelphia, we had a program called Seminary First, where we encouraged students to come to seminary before they go to college. Well, it wasn't a legitimate thing as far as the Department of Education was concerned, but it was a great idea. Come and get your, your foundation, get your spiritual uh, and, and moral education before we send you off. Well, Foundation First uh, that we are doing it at Pillar College is a two-year AA program, uh, associate degree program with a strong emphasis on what we call the shofar. You know what the shofar is biblically, right? It's a call to what? War, War and worship. <laughs> and they were seen very similar. And so in the shofar, it's an acronym for six courses. Actually, we have about 10 courses uh, in our biblical, uh, theological, and apologetics areas uh, that we think students should go through before they get sent off to some place that all of those ideals are going to be ridiculed and demeaned. Almost all of the 60 credits of that associate degree program, by the way, will transfer into most colleges and universities because there's a lot of general ed in there as well. But even in the general ed courses, we teach from a very different worldview perspective than what they're going to get at another institution that is not Christ-centered and Bible-believing. So then after a student takes the uh, associate degree program with Foundation First, uh, then if they want to transfer, they will transfer most of their credits, not a problem. But those who want to stay on and do a bachelor's degree in biblical studies or psychology and counseling or uh, leadership and business administration or one of the other majors, uh, they will go on and uh, get uh, their degree and almost always get into the chosen graduate program that they want to get into, including some of ours. We have now three uh, graduate degree programs, what we call MAC, Master Association, a Master's of Arts in uh, Counseling, and then we have a... a uh, master's in ministry MA and ministry leadership. And uh, then we have a more recently developed master of uh, an MBA, master of business administration in social sector management. So we have students staying on for those as well. So people who know me uh, know that I'm a very strong advocate for first the local church, well, first Jesus, my savior, who I hope he's coming soon. Uh, in fact, uh, for the local church, for biblical literacy, for disciple-making, and for Christ-centered higher education. And believe me, no one is grieving more than I over the loss of in Manhattan of the King's College and Alliance University, a.k.a. Nyack College. Nyack College is my alma mater. I was later, came back 25 years later as president from 2000, or 1993 to, to uh, 2005. And both of them, 
I hope this isn't shocking news to you, but it's very sad news. Both of them have had to close their doors. They've lost their accreditation, and that means you lose basically student financial aid and can't continue very well. So I'm very saddened by that. And I'll give you a statistic, I'll show you why in a moment. Depending on how you define them, there are about 300 evangelical, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, accredited colleges and universities in the United States, about 300. A population scatter graph would show that 18 of them should be in the metropolitan New York area. If, if the college, Christian colleges and universities were, were located proportionate to population, there should be 18 in this area. Now we're the only one. Pillar is the only one. There aren't any in the New York City in New York City anymore. And so it puts a huge responsibility. One reason why I came back, because um, we are going through the same process that they went through with middle states. April 1 to 4, team will be here. We've written our self-study, submitted it, and uh, you have to pass all seven of the standards of excellence. All seven. NIAC Alliance failed at number six, which had to do with financial stability. And the King's College failed at number seven. It had to do with leadership and governance. You have to pass all seven, or they put you on a show cause to show why you should be sustained as an accredited institution. So that's what's coming up for us. But now here we are, Pillar in Newark and Patterson uh, with sites in Jersey City and Ocean County and online. We're the only one in the greater metropolitan New York area. And so how secure are we? We'll find out. The team comes in April. We probably won't find out till mid-summer because Middle States has got about 60 schools that they're reevaluating right now. Um, in fact, I've just been assigned to be the chair of another college's reaccreditation, uh, upstate New York. But um, we believe we're in good shape. But I think that's one reason that uh, the trustees asked me to come back because I've been in that rodeo a few times before. Uh, we've I've helped design self-studies. I've been chair of self-study groups. But that's no guarantee. Believe me, uh, we're not. We don't dare to be overconfident. But please add that to your prayer list. April. And I don't like the idea they're coming on April Fools, but we'll see. So a few years ago, uh, the president of the largest CCCU, okay, so in Christian higher education, there are two major organizations. CCCU is the Coalition of Christian Colleges and Universities, mostly the liberal arts colleges, the larger colleges, the more famous ones. Some of you went to some of them. And then there are ABHE schools. Uh, NIAC was a CCCU school. ABHE is Association of Biblical Higher Education, uh, Pillar's part of that group. It's a larger group, about 170 now, I think, in America. And um, but so, and then there are some schools that are um, not aligned with either of them, but are good, good, good schools as well. Um, but a few years ago, uh, a, uh, the president of the largest CCCU school, Indiana Wesleyan, came and visited me, and he said, "You know, David, you guys really have the perfect model going forward." Uh, because uh, you're independent, you're non-denominational, so you can appeal to all segments of the evangelical church. Uh, you're you're Bible-believing, and you have a strong curriculum in that area. We uh, are a commuter school, so you don't have the financial liabilities of deferred maintenance on properties, for example, or depreciation in your books, uh, and and all these things that come along with residence halls. And we've chosen not to have residences, because by far, 
New Jersey is a state that has the most leakage out of the state of high school seniors. They go other places, unless they go to Princeton or maybe one of the other schools. They leave New Jersey. I don't know why. This is the garden state, right? But anyhow, they do. And and so, but if you live in New Jersey and you're and you're right here in the population center, that you know, if you're close enough to commute. <laughs> Uh, to Newark or Patterson or, or Somerset or wherever. So we chose not to build buildings and, and get encumbered with all of that expense. And we have chosen to be an urban school. We started as many, some of you know, out in Somerset County and Zarephath. Flood in 2011 hit, uh, uh, blew us out of there. We didn't own the property, fortunately. We moved to Newark because we decided if you miss the cities in New Jersey, you've missed New Jersey. And frankly, Students who don't live in the cities can possibly more easily move out of state if they want to. But st students in the city, they're going to stay. And, and we need to care about them. And so that's part of our mission. And um, we've chosen to be an urban school. And for New York City people, particularly, we haven't, I, I refuse to promote Pillar College in New York City while Kings and Nyack were still up. Now we're going to. And, and our Jersey City site is at Grove Street Station uh, on the path, only one stop across from, from Manhattan. So we're hoping to, to build that as well as Newark. And uh, so our, our still though, honestly, our greatest vulnerability, if I look at those standards, is finances. Um, we don't have the huge, huge debt that took NIAC down, uh, but we do have some, uh, but I think we're hoping that it'll go well. I want to introduce to you, by the way, two of my colleagues here. So Dr. Wayne Dyer has been here many times. He's that, he's that old white-haired guy there that uh, went to Nyack with me way back in the Middle Ages. And, and, and Bobby Thompson, the shot hurled around the world. Bobby Thompson uh, is our special assistant to, uh, for advancement. So we're glad that he's come on recently as well. And uh, they're going to help me. They're going to help us all try to get more uh, stronger financially so that uh, because one of the things we decided is um, when we come to the city, um, we're going to keep our tuition really low, as low as it can be and still be somewhat fluid. Uh, so our tuition as a private college is $10,000 lower than the next lowest of private colleges uh, in New Jersey, which is Fairleigh Dickinson. So uh, And so we're over 90% tuition dependent with minimal financial support from churches or or other donors, and we'd like to do something about that. But through creative programming, um, we're making good progress in growing our enrollment. Uh, we've stayed ahead of the market with LEAD, which is our life enhancing accelerated degree program. Uh, we have surpassed now 100 cohorts since 2008 when we started this program. Um, the, New Jersey has a lot of people who have some college credits, but haven't earned a degree. Then we have a program called Blend Bilingual Educational. We're the only ones. They wouldn't allow us to do that in New York. When I was at NIAC, I tried to get the Board of Regents to allow us to offer our courses in Spanish and Korean. New York said no. So much for a liberal state, right? So, uh, but we do it. We offer it in Spanish, and we have a, a strong program there. We have a, this program called DEED, the Dual Enrollment uh, Hybrid Program, High School to College. And uh, this September, we're thinking we might exceed 1,000 students which would be a wonderful um, benchmark for us. So you can find out more about the, the college by going on the website, www, might be on here even, um, .pillar.edu. 
But my appeal to you today as spiritual leaders in your home, in your church, your community, your workplace, is for you to use your influence to preserve the fruit of your ministry. Use your influence and help your families make good decisions about where to send their children to college and where as adults, if they want to continue, to, they can get a strong biblically-based college degree. And I'd like to encourage your churches and your people to support Christ-centered higher education by, by going and graduating and giving. At Pillar, I've become famous for one quote. We're not in it for the money. But without the money, we're not in it. <laughs> and that's the truth. We do need to become stronger financially. But I want to talk, move on from talking about Pillar to talk about a few other things related to what Vadi Boshem says here about Caesar. Uh, so speaking about money, <laughs> uh, I want to expound on his quote, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Many Christian families today are making a horrible investment decision that can ruin the future of their family and their children. They're exposing their most important assets to institutions that will likely corrupt what they value most, their Christian faith and that of their children. American parents today spend between $300,000 to $500,000 to raise each child from infancy uh, through adolescence. And then they're faced with the trauma of sending them as lambs among wolves into the secular world of education or work. And most of today's Christian young people are not spiritually ready for such challenges. Every year, hundreds of thousands of young people leave evangelical families and churches to attend secular colleges and universities where Christian faith is undermined in the classroom and Christian morality is ridiculed. Residence halls are basically dens of iniquity. A few years later, many of these same young people graduate as secular humanists, having wandered far from the values of their parents. A few may hold on to their faith, but they do so by segmenting their life unable to integrate the truth of God's word with their education and professional life and incapable of being effective disciples in the world. Dr. Thomas A. Shaw served as higher education specialist for over 20 years in enrollment management as well as student and alumni related areas. His latest book uh, produced by Moody Press says, is College Bound, What Christian Parents Need to Know About Helping Their Kids Choose a College and writing mostly to prospective students, he wrote this. So buyer beware. In looking at the broad category of colleges, be discerning. You need to be knowledgeable about the distinctives of the various college options and determine the best environment for you to not only survive spiritually, but to flourish. So keep this critical point in mind. Your faith development should be a paramount consideration of where you end up going to college. He goes on to say, you may be asking, is there reason for hope that I could survive in a public non-religious institution? The answer is maybe. While there are thousands of committed Christians at these universities growing in their faith, in spite of the antagonism they encounter daily in their classes, as well as in the residence halls and fraternities or sororities, there are just as many who are struggling. Here are some questions he then offers, some questions to consider to help you figure out how you might do in a non-Christian environment. 
Am I mature in faith to be able to withstand an antagonistic intellectual and social environment? Do I know how to share my faith? Do I have courage to stand up for my faith, even against influential professors, who in most cases are not believers, as well as the pressure from other students who exhibit negative non-God honoring behavior? Is my biblical knowledge strong enough to be able to discern truth from human wisdom and make godly decisions as a result? Have I made linkages to campus ministry groups who serve the university? And do I have a biblically sound church in mind near the university that I will attend? Then he goes on. If you can't answer yes to these questions, then you should seriously consider whether you should enroll in a secular or quasi-Christian college or university. You are vulnerable. Fortunately, there are alternatives, Christian colleges and universities where trustees and administrators and teachers all trust Jesus Christ, God's son as their savior and Lord. They bring their hearts and minds under the authority of the source of all truth, our creator. Most of these colleges are members of either CCCU, as I mentioned, or ABHE. How wonderful when students uh, can afford to go out of state to one of these colleges, but most cannot. Should we care only for the most financially fortunate and not the millions of others in our metro New York area? How will our area be impacted by well-educated, biblically-informed followers of Jesus if we do not provide a local, accredited, Christ-centered institution where they can attend? Should not city kids and others in our area be able to attend a college where their faith and morality are strengthened and not demeaned? Several years ago, our daughter's family of three teenagers returned to the United States after spending 15 years in Argentina and Ecuador. Our daughter, Christine, was registrar and administrative assistant to the principal of Alliance Academy in Quito. So the three children enjoyed a Christian school environment and teaching. Coming to New Jersey uh, and not having financial resources for a private Christian school, the two younger ones were going to enroll in the public schools in Middlesex where they were living with us. When Emily, who was soon to be a high school sophomore, reviewed the curriculum at the local public high school that said that she would need to be re-educated regarding her homophobia, she appealed to her parents to find another option. They did that, and she and Andres then went on to a local Christian school where Christine got a job so they could do that. Elizabeth, their older uh, sister, our oldest grandchild, then finished her high school as a dual enrollment student at Pillar in our DEED program, and then she stayed for her AA program. Then she transferred all but three of her credits, all but three of 60 credits, uh, to a public university where she minored in religion. One of her Bible professors in a secular university that you all would know very well if I named it, told the class that the God of Israel demanded that the Jews were to burn their babies as sacrifices. I asked Elizabeth about this a few weeks ago and she texted me, she's living in North Dakota now. She said, basically, I had a professor in university who, who pointed towards the verses in the Old Testament where they mentioned walking through the fire and said that the God of the Israelites demanded child sacrifice. And then she goes on to say, and to my point about going at least for your first two years to a Christian college, the first two years of college are to teach high schoolers how to think like adults and how to think critically. 
I think that having my first two years in a Christian environment pillar, while I learned how to think critically, set me up for success to question people who made false claims about my religion. I didn't just think, well, they know more than I do. They have a PhD, so I must be right. So they must be right. And then she goes on to say, of course, I would always recommend going to a Christian college for education. So truthfully, while going to a Christian college does not guarantee that a young person will persist in their faith, it's far more likely that they will than those who take their most formative years into an environment that is hostile to a biblical worldview. So spending additional funds over their years in a private Christian school to give one's child the best possible chance of building upon his or her faith rather than losing it may be the smartest investment Christian families can make. The accredited Christian schools in the United States play an increasingly important role in nurturing the next generation of Christians. But some people, even Christians, question the relevance of Christian higher education today. Many parents take the view that if their children want to pursue a financially promising career, they'd better send them to a secular school so they can get into a prominent secular college. Bad thinking. Jesus said it this way. What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? Barner research demonstrates that of young people from Bible-believing, evangelical Christian churches and families who go directly from high school to a secular college or university, 75% stop going to church, and 50% leave and do not return to the Christian faith. So it's extremely important that we reaffirm the urgency and the significance of Christian schools. The goal of Christian higher education is not simply for somebody to get a great job, although that is important. We don't deny that. But to get their basic training and education through a, through a biblical worldview perspective, which is contrary to the ways of this world, as Jesus really points out very, very well. The biblical worldview is integrated into all of the courses in a Christ-centered uh, college or university. Rightly relating to the source of our, of our creation is the most important uh, relationship anyone can develop, as you know. So Christian schools are considered to be value-laden, let me mention to you, I hope you understand this, that every single course, every class period, every professor, every college, every university, including Christians, speak from a worldview point of view and a values point of view. So the question is not whether a student should pursue a value-led education, but which value should underlie the education that they pursue. And that's the most important idea, is that we're looking first at, at our values. The values are what form who we are for now and eternity. Professors in secular colleges and universities do not have the freedom to share their, their perspective and their faith. I, I get to interview uh, adjunct professors from time to time. A little while ago, a, a man came who teaches in a, in a prominent school in New Jersey, and he wants to be an adjunct. And he said, you know, coming to Pillar to teach will be like being released from prison. So I want to give a call to action as I con conclude here. So remember Jesus' statement when he was asked about paying taxes to Caesar? I think his response speaks to this issue of education. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Render unto God the things that are God's. Almost all Christian parents educate or dedicate their children to God. And almost all born-again believers dedicate themselves to God. Our children 
and our souls are more important than taxes or finances. Let us render our most important assets unto God. To paraphrase Vadi Basham, we cannot continue to send our people to godless colleges and universities for their education and be surprised when they come home as neo-pagans. So what can we do to reestablish educa higher education in New York City? That's on my mind, that's on my heart. Right now, the New York Board of Regents does not allow outside institutions to come in and establish a, a, a college or university in the state. But we may have a chance, and here's my call to action. I have some contacts still, uh, even people who used to be on the Board of Regents. Um, but I presented this at the Pastors Summit a while ago uh, and, and the college's uh, prayer breakfast we do in October. We have almost about 150 names. On the back of this sheet that you have is a petition, a letter from me. I want to take uh, 300 names at least, maybe 400, signed by men like you, pastors, leaders, parents, to take to, to Albany and say, right now, because of the closure of two important colleges in, in Manhattan, 15% of the people in this metro area do not have a representative college. And so we're asking you if you'd give us an exception to be able to establish that. Right now, there's another, you know, so not only have they lost undergraduate, they lost Alliance Theological Seminary. There's no biblically centered uh, if, uh, graduate program or seminary in New York City right now. Fuller Theological, I think some of you might have heard of them uh, out in Pasadena, have contacted us. They want to work with us. They want to come to our area to help establish a seminary, uh, either hopefully in New York City, if not uh, a, a biblically based seminary in New York, in, in New Jersey. So that's our prayer. Would you please, would you please, I implore you, sign this document. I don't care what your position is. You're probably, you're a man of God or you wouldn't be here. Uh, I'd like to go to Albany with at least 300 petitions uh, to, to deliver to the Board of Regents. So that's my appeal. Uh, thank you for giving me your attention and time. You can give your petition either to uh, Bobby back there or Wayne or myself uh, before we leave. Thanks, Coach. Pat, thanks, Dr. David. Appreciate it. Uh